friend. This is Deeper Life, and I'm your host, Alexis Tykemiller. I'm a writer, content creator, and a woman on a journey to finding more depth in life. If you crave soul-filling conversations and long for a stronger connection to yourself and others, consider this your safe haven. It can be hard to embrace who we are, let alone share that with the rest of the world. The Deeper Life Podcast is a safe place to show up and hear conversations about relationships, emotional growth, and explore what it means to be vulnerable. If you're ready to dig deeper, I'm here to help you embrace who you are, reflect on your past, and connect with yourself. Welcome to A Deeper Life. Hi there, friend. Welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life. I'm your host, Alexis Tykemiller. Today, I'm in conversation with my dear friend, Abigail Pumphrey. Abigail is the co-founder of The Boss Project. She's a top podcaster of The Strategy Hour, and she's a woman who continually paves the way for honest conversations about life and business. Some of the themes for today's show are keeping promises to yourself, mental and physical health, and the journey to healing after trauma. As a disclaimer, we do talk about subjects that could be emotionally triggering, such as bipolar depression and suicide. If you feel as if these topics would cause emotional distress, feel free to jump over to another Deeper Life episode. I completely understand. When people are having thoughts of harming themselves, suicide prevention hotlines can make all the difference. Crisis hotlines help millions of people every single year and offer the option to speak with trained volunteers and counselors, either via phone or text message. And it's all free. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is here to support you around the clock. Just call 1-800-273-8255 and know that you are so strong for asking for help. I've also linked the 24-7 online chat in the episode show notes if you need that as well. This is one of the most powerful stories of overcoming trauma I have ever heard. I hope this impacts you in a meaningful way. If you resonate with this episode, screenshot your podcast player, jump over to Instagram and tag me in your Instagram story as I'd love to continue the conversation with you over on Instagram. All right, friends, let's dive in. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life. And I'm here with my dear friend, Abigail. And we've known each other now for about three and a half years, which I feel like is a good amount of time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a solid amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we're, we have been kindred spirits in a lot of different ways on Mm -hmm. the business side. Um, We both work in the online business space, but then also when I think of you, one of the words that pops into my mind first is transparent. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have such a voice to speak to women and, and people that are struggling with a lot of different things. I think that you have a really incredible platform and you you use your voice in such a way that is so approachable too. Oh, and I just like feel your values ooze out of you when you write Instagram captions or you're on Instagram stories and mm-hmm. you live in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I live in Houston. And so we don't get to hang out in person very often, mm-hmm. but I just feel so connected to you um, and everything that you share. So I'm so, I'm like, I'm beaming that you're oh, here today. Well, it's it's quite the honor because I've felt the same way about you, whether I've voiced that or not. And it's been so fun to watch you explore what having a personal brand means or what it means to put it on the shelf and prioritize life in between. And I love that you honor where you're at in any aspect of life when, mm-hmm. when you're working or not. And so I 
I, I respect you in a lot of ways and I'm excited to dig in deep for sure. Oh, that means a lot to me because I, I think that's an area that I've tried to grow in and be, be very aware of mm-hmm. is being so conscious of the season I'm in and then trying to honor that yeah. season yeah. and and bring whatever that season needs to it. Totally. Um, so it's like whenever you're in a season of rest, okay, what does that season need? It needs to not have your calendar be busy, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and then vice versa. So you talk about so many things on the internet, um, mm-hmm. in business and on personal. And I don't even want to talk about business stuff today. No, like I I want to no screw business stuff. <laughs> There's so many other podcasts like the one that you host. Mm-hmm. If you want to do a little shameless plug on that, yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead and share a little bit about your podcast um, and what y'all share, and then we can dig into the personal stuff. Yeah. So my job by day is over at the Boss Project, where I help small business owners from all over the world create profit and sustainability and create a full-time income from what they love. Um, and we've been running a business podcast going on, oh gosh, I want to say almost three years. We have a million and a half downloads, so we definitely know what we're talking about. Um, You're welcome to check it out at the Strategy Hour, pretty much anywhere you're listening to podcasts, like right where you're listening now. Just type it in and search for it. So Perfect. And I'll link that in the show notes too, because I've actually been a guest on the Strategy Hour. Yeah, you have. Yeah. I I loved our last one, which wasn't about business as much. Right. It was a lot about communication. So if you like this show, you'll definitely like that particular episode of the Strategy Hour. Cool. I'll link that too, just so you guys, if you want more of me <laughs> and you want more of of that, then I'll, I'll link that in the show notes too. Um, but I want to talk about the journey that you're in right now because sure. I've watched you over the last year and a half focus a lot on your emotional health, mm-hmm. your spiritual health, and your physical health. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you take on that challenge mm-hmm. of I'm going to change my whole life. Mm-hmm. It can be overwhelming. And I just want to know where, at what point were you, were you like, I need to make a change in my life? Was there some sort of breaking point for you when you were like, I, I want to lose weight. I want to feel healthier. I want to, you know, feel more emotionally connected to myself. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment or do you think it was a slower evolution? I feel like there was like a lifetime leading up to it um, because there there was just a lot of points of trauma and points of frustration and points of watching other people struggle. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about my story lately and where I come from. And I know part of it was that I watched my grandmother, who was a very close person in my life, um, get diagnosed with four types of cancer beat all of them, and then die of natural causes not long after that. And it was really hard to watch her struggle. Um, But like that story wasn't uncommon in my life. When I was two and a half years old, my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor and she had an operation uh, like six months pregnant with my sister to have that removed And then, like, it just continued. Like, when I was older, she had a fibroid the size of a grapefruit in her uterus, which caused early, like, an early hysterectomy. And it just constantly felt like everyone around me was sick. Everyone around me was struggling, whether it was cancer or tumors or if it was just diabetes, just diabetes, as if that's no small thing. Um, 
or depression or whatever. Like it just felt like this, this tailspin of all the stuff around me. And mm. I think it was a combination of a couple of things. I, in December of 2018, my, um, my uncle just like out of the blue, who, who, by the way, had run many marathons and had been a model for health in my life, um, had a heart attack out of nowhere. And it felt very scary and very, like, against all odds. Like, and, like he's worked so hard on it. He's He's done all the things, and yet he's still struggling. And so I'm like, I'm over here. I don't know how I'm skating by at this point. Like I have a lot going on medically. I have a lot going on with my health personally. And to watch one of the healthiest people I know have a heart attack was like, okay, well, if I don't pay attention, something's going to happen to me. Like it, it felt inevitable at that point. And the, my final turning point was my husband went to the doctor and had very normal blood work done. And they said, if you don't change your life, like you're going to be on medication for the rest of it. And so he was like, okay, well now we need to do this and we need to do it together because we both need it. And we both want to be married and we both want to be together and live long, healthy lives. And so mm. January 1st, 2019 is like, I don't know. Is like that was, a, that was a big day for you. Typical I remember as it is like, yeah, we're just like, we're doing this. And instead of saying this is, temporary or this is a diet or this is whatever like it was a decision and once I made it there was no turning back Mm. I love that one of the things I read whenever I read back on your journey of starting um, your weight loss and your health journey one of the things that you said was it's time for me to start keeping my promises to myself yeah and I think that is so powerful Mm -hmm. because it's really easy for us to make statements or claims or have a mantra Mm -hmm. or a word of the year, Mm -hmm. but there is something about deciding I am going to start keeping my promises. I'd love for you to to share more on on that mentality and and kind of what led you to that breaking point of you're like, I've got to stop breaking my promises. Yeah. Well, gosh, I wish I could remember her name at this point. I'm sure you've all heard of her. She's a fairly famous author. Um, and she talks about how we look at the world and how we interact with it. So, um, it's a lot about, you end up fitting into four quadrants. Um, one being like that you hold promises to yourself and to the outside world. One that you're like basically a people pleaser and you don't hold promises to yourself. Another version is you, um, Hold, you're kind of you're a little selfish. You hold all your promises to yourself and you kind of fail with everybody else. And then the rebels who like reject everything. Um, so I took that test years ago after my mom got really into reading all her books and my mom's constantly sending me inspirational stuff. Same. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I, I had recognized that this was a problem. Like this was not, this was not news to me. Like, mm-hmm. I had done well in school. I had done well in the workplace. I had done well 
reporting to everyone else. And honestly, I think the only reason I ended up doing well in business is because somehow I manipulated myself into thinking that if I failed at it, I was somehow letting all my students down and all of the people that were utilizing what my business had been there for. So I had like lied myself into making that work. Mm. But I didn't feel like with this, that that was possible. And so I knew that if this was something I truly wanted and desired, that I had to be willing to go against basically my instincts, go against my personality, go against the way I was raised, go against like all of these things that had been drilled into my head for years and years, whether that was self-talk or educated or whatever, like parented into me, you know, Um, I had to decide that I was worthy and that with that decision, you, you have power and like you have the ability to do big things and I always knew I was ambitious. Like that wasn't the thing. That wasn't mm-hmm. the problem. But all my ambitions centered centered around pleasing other people and reaching goals or success points to impress other people. They weren't for me. And so I think if that's you, if think I think if you resonate with that, I think you have to be willing to look at why you don't think you're worthy of that. And like why you think you're not enough or you don't deserve it or that everyone else becomes first. Like why are you the last person in line? Like, And acknowledging those things, not just seeing them and not just like talking about them, but like truly diving into where did that – pain come from? Where, what was that moment in time? What was it? A, was it a series of moments in time? Because th- those are not things that you like happened last week and now you're this way. Like these are things that developed over years and years and years. And you, whether you did it yourself or society did it to you, they were hardened into you. Like they've, they're ingrained into you. They're things you learn as a child. They're, they're not things that are easily given up. Right. There was a a therapist I saw in college Uh and she taught me about brain mapping. Yeah. And there are triggers that come up for all of us Mm -hmm. that can be reverted back to some sort of trauma. Yeah. She said that when you feel that trigger, that's your opportunity to remap your brain. Yeah. So that that trigger doesn't lead you down that path anymore. Mm -hmm. That trigger over time becomes healed. Mm -hmm. And that trauma is able to be let go over time. And it's kind of like that same thing. You're, you, you mentioned reparenting or reframing your mindset or remapping your brain. Mm-hmm. And it, it came to a point where you had gone and worn down that path so many times mm-hmm. that at some point you said, I'm not going to go there anymore. Like I've, I've got to forge a new, a new path. All that said, but also I think maybe I had the worst thing happen to have the best opportunity ever. And that like three years ago, um, November 3rd, 2016, not that I remember the date or anything. Right. But I was, I was in a car wreck with five other vehicles and suffered a traumatic brain injury. And 
you do not recover from a traumatic brain injury the way you recover from a broken leg or the way you recover from, I don't know, any other physical injury. It is a physical injury in that your your brain was literally injured. But if you go back to that mapping, you lose a lot of your old mapping and you're literally trying to recreate those connections. Wow. Um, and so there's a period of my life that I don't have I don't have long-term memories from because my brain was so focused on remapping my brain. Wow. And so I have glimpses of a couple of years, but then it was as if I was given the opportunity to decide what this new map looked like and I chose it to be different. What like blessing is a weird word here, but I mean, out of that, you said something beautiful was able to be created. Yeah. What was, what was that healing process like? Like you came out of that, you were in the hospital for a long time. You know, what were the effects on that, on your marriage, you know, changing, changing your mindset? Sure. How did that affect your relationships through, through that healing process? So I wasn't actually in the hospital for a long time. I was sent home the same afternoon that I was in my car accident. They didn't know I had a brain injury until six weeks post-accident, which meant I didn't have any of the typical brain rest or like things that you would do if they knew that was an issue. Um, And so because of that, I had a lot of things that came up medically as a result of not giving my brain the rest it needed. Um, It meant I spent a lot of time in physical therapy and vestibular therapy and cognitive therapy and at the chiropractor and massage therapist. And I could go on, like the list is very long. Um, I would spend somewhere between 10 and 25 hours a week in a doctor's office for about a year and a half. Oh my gosh. And it was my job to get better. Like that was all I was doing. I mean, I was working because I was kind of forced to at the time. And I didn't talk about it a lot publicly because I was in the middle of a lawsuit and I wasn't allowed to. So I couldn't process the things I was going through in a public forum, which that's how I'd run my whole life. That's how I built my business. And to like hide such a huge part of what I was going through was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so but- was the what, really quick, was the lawsuit about the car accident? Mm-hmm. It okay. was. Yeah. All right. So we, we sued several of the drivers. We sued several of the insurance companies um, because we didn't know what my medical needs would be long-term. And so I was very sick for a long time and I have made a very miraculous recovery. I'm definitely, but the thing with brain injury is every, every injury is so different and so vastly different. I mean, you hear about people who are in, in comas and you hear about football players who were hit one too many times and then have all of these crazy symptoms come out of seemingly nowhere. And then it's really not all that surprising, but they don't even see it coming. Um, You have people that fall down the stairs and are never the same person again. So like how they come on and how they affect you 
it's dramatically different because the brain is so complicated and depending on where you injure it, like obviously it's going to affect different aspects of your life. Um, But in terms of how it affected my marriage, I think for a long time it meant that I didn't have one. Um, My husband immediately became my caretaker. He made sure I was at my appointments. He made sure I was taking my medication. He made sure that I had food in my belly and that I was as, like, I can't say pain-free, but as, like, pain-reduced as possible, I guess. Right. Um, And when I became enough better that he had to switch out of that role, we basically had to relearn how to be married to each other because he didn't know what that meant anymore. And he was so used to taking care of everything for so long that like we had to relearn who was in charge of what in the house and how I showed up in the marriage and in the household and all of the other things that went along with that. And that was not easy, but I think it's made us much stronger because of it. I can't imagine that process of like learning to be married again. And also shifting out of the person that was in pain and you were a victim in this car accident yeah and also shifting out of that victim place back into yeah into the marriage where you know you're both equally taking care of each other and not Mm -hmm. he was taking care of you Mm -hmm. what was that process like like did you guys go to therapy which is was it something that you worked on individually yeah so I definitely suggested therapy. My husband's been resistant to that for a long time. I think, and I don't totally know why, like, because he's open to a lot of other things. But I think it was a series of listening to podcasts, sending them to each other. Like, you need to listen to this one. (laughs) Um, Like reading. We both read like a ton of self-help at that point. Um, We started actively going to a church and being involved in that church. And um, what I thought it would mean is talking to each other a lot, talking to the other person about how they need to change. Um, But that's not at all what it was. I think it was when we decided to be the best versions of ourselves and focus almost entirely on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then come back together. Yeah. We were uh, better at communicating. We were better at telling each other what we need without like expecting things that are perhaps more than necessary. Um, Or expecting things that you didn't communicate too. Oh, I expect you to do this, but I haven't communicated it. Yeah. I I love the focusing on on you getting better and your mindset towards your marriage because – even just like I'm I'm newly married of three months over here on this end. So you have years on me. Yeah. Um, but something I always try to ask myself is what am I contributing to this situation? Mm-hmm. And I ask myself that in friendships and work, anything that I'm feeling off, like relationally, I'm trying to ask myself, what did I contribute to this? Mm-hmm. And there was a time where I was like, it's everyone else's fault all the time. And I yeah. am always right. And y'all suck. Like, to be very honest. (laughs) Well, it takes a lot of growing up to get past that point. But I think part of that is not only learning how to communicate better, but how to fight better. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because if you can do both of those things, then there's a lot of growth that happens. Um, because knowing and understanding your partner opens up a lot of doors and it allows you to not only be better for each other, but I feel like if that tension is eased, then you can be so much bigger and have so much more room for everything else. But like if it's taking up too much space or too much stress or too much, whatever, like that, that can really consume you. Um, So in terms of what that could mean, I think being someone who can communicate what you need um, and what you're expecting before, before it's like a thing, <laughs> like even something as small as, Hey, I'm really slammed at work this week. Can you be in charge of dinner? Like, mm-hmm. I know that sounds like something so small, but like, instead of it being seven 30 and neither of you have eaten and you're both starving and you're both looking at each other, like who's doing it? Like, <laughs> The other person already knows and understands that, like, you could use that backup, and like, that is meaningful. It's so meaningful when you come at it as a partnership and then you move forward together versus always like battling towards each other versus right. walking alongside of each other, right? And just having that, having that partner to be like, I see you, I see mm-hmm. that you're stressed, I've mm-hmm. got this on your behalf, but. Mm-hmm getting to the point in your relationship where you can maturely and effectively communicate your needs mm-hmm. is such a big milestone. Oh, yeah, because we used, we used to want to, like, yell at each other. Like, I mean, because that's what kids do to communicate. Like, they throw tantrums. Ah! <laughs> like, so being an adult is being calm and coming to the table and saying, hey, like, without all the emotion and, like mm-hmm. – I don't know, like you can get really wrapped up in that. But I think in terms of like the, the fighting well, like you have to know what your partner needs to process information. Right. And so I personally would prefer that if there is a tiff or an argument or anything that we just keep talking until it's over because I don't want it to continue. And so I want to keep talking and he just gets more upset and more upset and more upset okay because he needs space and he needs to walk away and reflect and then come back together and then talk about it mm. and i'm very bad at respecting that but coming to the point where i understand that that that's the reality of it mm-hmm. there's not that my way or his way is better or worse but if i continue to do my way like I'm dragging him through the mud in the process. So, yeah, and pushing him farther away. Right. Right. Yeah. That's big. Something um something that I want to go back to. Yeah. Was your whenever you were in that lawsuit and you couldn't mm-hmm. talk about it publicly. Mm-hmm. I think that there is I think there are parts of everyone's story that mm-hmm. we have hidden really well. And in your case, you were in a lawsuit and you literally could not talk about what you were experiencing mm-hmm. and you weren't able to process that publicly mm-hmm. um, and be transparent, especially as you are now. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many parts, even of my story, that I have literally never shared that are huge parts mm-hmm. of why I am who I am mm-hmm. because I can't talk about them or there are reasons as to why that is. And I, I just want to talk about like I want to make space for how difficult it is to go through something mm-hmm. and not be able to discuss it. Like yeah. 
it is traumatic in and of itself. You have Mm -hmm. the thing that happened to you that's really terrifying and sad um, and has evoked a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the trauma of not being able to have a voice about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that had to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, I was essentially forced to (laughs) be mute and I I couldn't even necessarily bring it up with friends or family because – if we had gone fully to trial and they were put on the stand, like anything I had ever said to them could be used or manipulated against me. Oh my gosh. So really based on the law and based on the situation I was in, I was really only allowed to share with my husband because they can't like, I don't know what the rule is, but they can't like make you look bad basically. Um, so it was it was him and that was it. But he was already struggling because he was seeing – he saw me as a patient instead of a wife at that time. And so like every time I shared made him feel like he needed to do more for me instead of just hear me. Mm. And so a lot of the time I just sat in it by myself. So I'm so, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's 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 something that I know now – happened for a reason. And I I know people hate that phrase, especially when they're going through something really dark. It felt like something I needed to experience so that I could help more people. Mm-hmm. And since then, like just having the ability to help other people going through chronic pain or their own traumatic experience or struggling with some sort of like significant health issue. Like my empathy level is through the roof. Like I get it. Like I so get it. I get the not wanting to get out of bed. I get the, would it, would I be better off dead? I get the, like, I thought about driving my car off the side of the road. Like I, I get it. Like, and some of that, was not even in my control, which was really hard. Like, um, it wasn't that I was the one who wanted to die, like, or thought that it was that my brain was so fucked up that, like, yeah. it didn't even know what was going on. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that's in in this case, it was a brain injury. And first off, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that. So many people can find pieces of themselves in your story. Yeah. And it's really powerful. So thank you for trusting me and just sharing that with me. And I I think that that also speaks to mental illness as a whole. In your case, it was a brain injury. Did you feel like that brain injury had turned into a mental illness or – like I, how I do was, you how do you decipher the difference? Right. No, for sure. Well, they're they're different in the same. Um, I was actually diagnosed um, bipolar when I was in high school, and so I had been struggling with mental illness. I mean, basically my entire adult life. Yeah. Um, and. I think the hard part with that is that I didn't, I couldn't really escape it because my mom, after her brain tumor, which I like glossed over as if it was nothing, um, she presented with very similar symptoms 
even though hers was brought on by trauma. So like she acted like someone suffering from bipolar disorder, but it was actually a chemical imbalance in her brain brought on by surgery. Um, And so she was on disability since I was a child. And my dad in high school, um, he went on disability as well. And he has struggled with mental illness and um, depression mostly. But I mean, it was that it was like the perfect storm of all this medical stuff all at once, but definitely was a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had watched, not actually watched, but I witnessed my uncle go through a lot, a different uncle, not the one that had a heart attack. This one killed himself. Um, and it was terrible. It was the worst thing I probably have ever experienced personally, but all of these moments, like it just felt like I didn't know what happy or what normal or what a brain that works the way it's supposed to work felt like, like, I just thought that you went from laughing hysterically to crying one moment to the next. And that was normal. And I, I think I finally realized it wasn't when I was in college. Um, there's this very specific moment that's like ingrained in my brain as like traumatic to me, but no one else could possibly understand. Um, I was in a room of my, all my sorority sisters. So like 150 women and the room was silent and it was supposed to be this like very serene moment. And I started laughing hysterically, but like not because anything was funny, but because I was so out of control that like I was not physically in control of my body. And so I ran out of the room because I was so embarrassed and then immediately started bawling and was so sad. And that moment just won't leave me because it just felt so dark and frustrating that like can't even control my own body. Like I can't even control my own emotions. I can't control what I'm going through. And I don't know. I was just on medication after medication and therapy, like in and out of therapy for a decade. And then to be slapped in the face with a brain injury just felt like of course I was like, of course. Yeah. Um, I think I felt like I had an opportunity if I got this chance to work on healing and like healing was my only goal. Like, what do I want that to look like? What if it was more than just making sure my brain like gets back to functioning? Like, what if it was that I could process things I had been through? What if I could look at situations from my past in a new light? What if I could love myself in a way maybe I hadn't before? I don't know. I think with brain injury, there's a lot of questions as to whether when you have moments of fleeting thought, um, these episodes in which maybe you are do think about killing yourself, if that is fully conscious or not like I don't think they know I don't think science knows 
Mm-hmm. Um, it almost felt as if something out of body took over. And most of the time it was just racing thought. Like it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was like consciously planning or like consciously like I'm going to do X, Y, Z. It was like, I'm in a car. What would it feel like to drive my car off the side of this bridge? Mm-hmm. What would it feel like if I drove this into that brick wall? It was most of the time when I was in the car, and I think it was because the car centered around the trauma I had been through. Yes. And so it was like a constant fear of like reliving that moment. Yes. And I still have – I've come a long way when it comes to driving, but I still have moments of panic where, you know, it's a very normal rush hour and everyone slows down and I see a car coming from behind and I feel like I can't control what's going to happen next. And so I irrationally break probably more than the average person. But when you have that like fear that right comes rushing back without your control, like it causes a lot of issues. Like you're sure in the moment it's terrifying, like be- but you're also doing things to your body that you may not even realize. You're putting your body into fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, your cortisol levels raise. And when your cortisol levels raise, like all of these other things happen like naturally in your body because your body views it as trauma. Your body views it as stress. And if you are in a constant state of stress, you don't sleep the way you're supposed to. You don't digest the way you're supposed to. You Like all of these other things. Right. And we can pretend all day long that like how you're doing emotionally has nothing to do with how you're doing physically. And it's not true at all. Right. They are so connected. Yes. They're absolutely, I I feel like I actually, um, gosh, like I just listening to you talk, I was getting so emotional of just like, I feel the heaviness that you went through Mm -hmm. and I, I also see this woman that you are now and get the honor of knowing and cheering on and reading your incredible words. And I just like, I want to know where this hope comes from. Like, where do you find hope and lightness through this dark, heavy stuff? And to be able to come out on the other side and talk about it and be in what seems to be a healthy place and to be able to call it out so blatantly, like how, how do you transition from that darkness to lightness? Not that there's a a simple one, two, three step because you and I both know that there is not, Yeah, but I just see this lightness in you and I I find so much inspiration and hope in that. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, it's a perfect storm of things. It's a combination of things. It's things that I can't, put my finger on but Mm -hmm. if if I were to break it down a little bit I think I think the first thing was being open to having a faith um I think I put God and my like actually practicing and worshiping and like all of that I put it on the back burner I I thought I mean a solid 10 years, probably even closer to 15 years. I just thought that it wasn't 
it wasn't for me. Like maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe like, I don't know if, I don't know if God exists. I don't know if all of these things are true. And I still don't know. Like, do we actually know? I don't know. But I think being open to something higher than yourself, whether you see that as God or you see that as light or you see that as the universe, I don't think it necessarily matters as long as you recognize that the world is greater than what you're going through and you're just living it through the lens of your own personal perception. And what if you gave yourself grace and what if life didn't have to be as serious as you make it out to be and you could have fun and you could love it a little more and you could love people a little deeper and you could experience life more to its fullest. Like, I think I just decided it didn't have to suck. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like, I know that sounds, I don't know, too simple maybe, but I knew it couldn't, it didn't have to be this way. Like, Mm -hmm. And you, even if you logically understand that, it can take a lot to get to the point where you believe it. <laughs> right. And actually start living like that. Yeah. And get to the point too, like n- not not having any kind of spiritual awareness of the fact that there is something out there bigger than you. Um, and that is God for me. Yeah. And, I, and other people experience that in different ways. And I want to honor that. Um I think knowing that I am serving some kind of purpose, yes. like I find so much of my my mm-hmm. connection in that and it makes yeah. me less depressed and it makes me less anxious because I know that I have a purpose in something and that is when those dark thoughts do roll in or even if it's fleeting, even a fleeting thought of what if I wasn't here anymore, mm-hmm. knowing that I am called to do something bigger than me and I am a part of something bigger than mm-hmm. me makes me feel like I just find so much peace in that, like yeah. knowing that that I have something bigger than myself. Well, and I remember people people like to say that <laughs> God only gives you so much, so much that you can handle it or whatever. And I firmly believe, and I did not come up with this. Someone else came up with this, that God gives you more than you can handle on purpose so that you can grow. I've always felt like he wanted me to have some kind of impact. And I, I kept not understanding what that meant. And I still don't fully understand what it means, but I'm going to continue to use my words and my character and the things I stand behind to hopefully give other people the opportunity to maybe see in themselves that there could be something better for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful. Something that you wrote, um, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. that I found so much of myself in this question. Yeah. You asked, um, you wrote this post about the juxtaposition of how things can be good and also bad. Yeah. And it's like, business is good, but here are some things that stress me out. Marriage is good, but here are things that we're working on. My health is going good, but I still find flaws in X, Y, Z. And you asked this question, who am I to help others when I still struggle myself? Mm-hmm. And I resonate with that question so much. And that's one of the reasons why I was so freaking scared to start this podcast and actually start having deeper connections and conversations around topics that I think are really important to put out in the world. Yeah. Because I still struggle and I don't have all the right words. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, there is this juxtaposition in my life where things are good and things are also bad or, you know, you can characterize them, I guess, as bad sure. or the title of bad, but positive maybe hard, and negative or whatever. Maybe hard, easy and hard, like whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. you want to put on the opposite sides of that. Um, I'd love for you to speak to that. Yeah. Well, I think part of this came from the idea that, I mean, for those of you who missed it, it was a, it was a trend that lasted like all of four days where people were doing, you know, this is what my life looks like on Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn and Tinder. I was like, okay. But I decided to do those three plus real life because I feel like maybe that was a little more true to who I am. Right. But what I was trying to call out was that the society in which we live, we are constantly being shown what other how other people are living, and we think that's their whole story. And it's not. It's not even close. And it and it's not that other people are trying to guard themselves. I mean, sure, sometimes they literally are sh- hiding things on purpose, um, whether that be a defense mechanism or because they don't want other people to know because it could hurt their reputation or whatever. But a lot of times people hide things because they're hard and they don't want to have to process them. And it's easier to hide than it is to go through it and to actually experience it and to feel it to its fullest. And I have spent far too long letting things happen and then compartmentalizing them and putting them on the back burner and saying, you know, someday I'll deal with that. Yep. And I know that the only way I'm going to stay most both emotionally and spiritually and physically healthy is if I learn to feel my feelings when they happen. Mm-hmm. And when it, if a past trauma pops up that I need to recognize that maybe that's something I need to work through. And I, I just think everyone else is showing their highlight reel and like, mm-hmm. not that it's bad. Like I love social media and I think it's, fucking amazing and yeah, like that's how you and I have stayed connected and yeah. and talk almost every day. Yeah, like you you see other people living their lives and you get to experience little glimpses of it and I think sometimes somehow it makes us feel more connected but it also can make us feel more alone because we're just watching it go by rather than being a part of it and being in the same room but I think it also can be powerful because you can create relationships with people perhaps that are halfway across the world or two states away that maybe you you would have never been able to have that deeper friendship with because you're not in the same physical space but social media acts as a connection point i i just i think ultimately want people to see that they're allowed to be both good and bad or okay and not or positive and negative or sad and happy at the same time. And we aren't, we aren't one thing. And I think when you share, when you share something on social media, someone, someone experiences that post as that individual moment. And something I struggled with when I was getting married and moving away from Nashville which is where I moved after college and I I loved Nashville Mm -hmm. and I moved to Houston 
And mm-hmm. Houston was not on my top list of places to live ever. <laughs> Just being really honest about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting married. And I'm leaving this city that I love and all my friends and all the things I love about it to move to a place that I do not desire to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard for me to share because I felt like I didn't want to be ungrateful for the opportunity to be married and to mm-hmm. have found my life partner. But also, I did not want to move. And I also didn't want to hold on to the resentment that moving meant. Like I didn't want to resent Matt because we moved here for his job mm-hmm. because I didn't want to live here. So th- there came a point where I had to feel both of those things at the same time mm-hmm. and say both of these are okay. It is okay for me to feel sad to leave and it is okay for me to be excited to be married. But at some point I have to make a choice on whether or not I want to let that resentment go. If I want to let that like juxtap- or that negativity mm-hmm. go because it was impacting the good. Um, yeah. But I think it is so normal for us to to shove off feelings and act like we're only experiencing the exciting things mm-hmm. whenever every good opportunity also comes with pretty hard choices. Yes. And it does. I think that we don't allow that in at times. And back to your story of like you you still struggling and you then you're also helping other people. Mm-hmm. I think that because you struggle, that makes you strong. And it makes you it gives you the opportunity to be transparent. Mm-hmm. And just because you're still struggling with something doesn't mean that you don't have a voice and doesn't mean that you can't help people through that. But do you feel like there's a, a place where how do I ask this? Like, maybe you haven't healed enough to talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that there is, um, and I don't want to use the word right because I don't think there is a right way, but is there a benefit to you as an individual for really processing and healing something first before you go share it publicly? Yeah. Like, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? So I've always l- – I don't know if I've always done this, but I do recommend that you share your scars and not your wounds when it comes to putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Um, Because your wounds are things that you're actively going through, things that are still really deep and really hard. And um, not that you can't share glimpses of them, or that you can't share part of the story, but sometimes letting someone all the way in can make it worse or make it harder than it needs to be. Right. Um, but your scars are what give you your grit and they're what give you your gumption and they what, they're what they what make you who you are. And people want to know that. People want to experience it and they're craving that connection. They're cra- craving that deeper relationship with you right. um, because – I mean, not that the fluffy stuff isn't great too. Like I, I I follow freaking Walmart finds on Instagram. Like, come on. (laughs) Like we all have those moments where we just want some really surfacey shit. Like I get that. But like, yeah, I think we also crave deeper relationships and we have to honor that that's a thing. And so in terms of sharing, is there anything that I'm not ready to share yet? I don't know. I, I think I think it's that you you may not even realize that it's worth sharing until after it's kind of passed to an extent. Um, I think part of it for me is perhaps acknowledging how sick I was, um, but also knowing 
that I may never understand how sick I was because I physically can't remember. And so I don't know if that's a blessing in disguise. I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming it's my body protecting myself. But knowing other people had to witness it is hard. And so you can you can share a lot and still have it not be enough, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you can share enough to where you're getting the point across without necessarily having to dive into every detail. Because I do think that protecting yourself and protecting your family or whoever is involved mm-hmm. with whatever you're sharing, yeah. I think that there's an element of that that you know there will always be things in our lives that are private. We don't have to share everything. And it's – I get – I kind of go back to the question of like, what is my intention with sharing? Mm -hmm. Is my intention because I need the healing? Okay, Mm -hmm. maybe I need to journal about that. Mm -hmm. Or is it because I'm trying to help someone else? Mm -hmm. Then maybe that's something I share publicly on a social platform. That's just like, that's my, you know, way that I measure um, and decide whether or not I want to share something publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's a a, a good fail safe because I do think that sometimes – there is such a such a wave of valuing vulnerability in yeah. a way that we never have before. Yeah. And we welcome it and we crave it and we both do it on our own social platform. Oh, yeah. But I also think that there's a way of honoring that vulnerability mm-hmm. in a way that's not transactional. Yes. I'm trying to share something so that I can get X amount of um, insert whatever trying to a- whatever kind of affirmation you're trying to get. Um, so I think that, I don't know, that's, thank you for coming to my Ted talk on vulnerability, <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I don't know. I feel really strongly about protecting yourself mm-hmm. and making sure that when you're sharing, you, you're sharing to help. Yeah. I mean, I will say in terms of sharing, maybe not all the time, but most of the time I share to process. So mm. I put stuff out there because that, it's almost like my own little journal. Like, yeah, it's my, it's my words. It's the things I said or the things I thought. And yeah. I think people process differently. So you might do that privately. You might do that in church. You might do that with a friend over coffee. Like, none of those are bad or wrong. Yeah, They're there's no different. right way. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because I do think that people process things differently. And I, I think I process verbally Mm one-to-one and then I write later thinking through that lens of like, okay, I've processed this, but I know a lot of people that, that process better through written word and through just like sharing it. So Mm -hmm. I totally honor both. Something that I have been really inspired by is we're kind of like shifting gears here, but towards your health journey Mm -hmm. and last year, um, hold on. I have it like written down. Okay. So you did like a 2019 wrap up on Instagram. I just like have all your Instagram posts, like in, in a Google doc right here. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want to talk about this. And I love that she said this. And so I'm using a lot of what you are processing publicly yeah, yeah. as, as ways to, to chat through today. So you said in 2019, you decided to, to start keeping promises to yourself. You cooked 90% of the time at home, worked out 100 days in a row, and then three to four times a week following that. You said goodbye to a decade worth of weight gain. You trained for and ran a 5K. You carried the same water bottle all over the country and stayed hydrated daily. And your skin looks amazing, by the way. (laughs) Um, And then you climbed two mountains. Yeah. And I just find this so motivating. And I'd love for you to share like 
you are sharing um, your workout schedule, you're sharing your weight loss journey. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to to share that because I think that is like so inspiring and also gives us a chance to say, what am I going to commit to for myself? And I, I love seeing yeah. you committing to yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that people need to to commit to whatever it is that they need to do for themselves. For sure. Well, I think the first thing I would say about it is I could not have imagined that January 1st that all of those things were something I could do or something I could accomplish. I was not physically there at all. Like there I could barely walk up a flight of stairs when I started. And so I think acknowledging where you're at right now is very valid and you have to be okay with knowing that like your tomorrow, your next week, your month and a half from now is yours and no one else can decide for you how much better or how much the same you are. And so you have to take it a little bit at a time. And I, I was really, it was just like one foot in front of the other. It was one decision after the next. It wasn't like, and this year I'm going to do all of these things like that. I couldn't have said those things. I couldn't have predicted those things other than maybe the cooking for myself kind of thing. Maybe because most of those are hard, are things you have to work up to. Um, you don't just go from not being able to walk up a flight of stairs to running a 5K. Like there's a lot of work that comes prior to that. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't wake up one day. Right. I know, they ha- I know they literally have a program called Couch to 5K, but I'll tell you, I worked out for six months before I even started that program. So like, it's not something I recommend someone just do tomorrow. Like, right. Unless you're ready to do it tomorrow. Some of you are. Some of you are, you will have to do a lot before that's something you maybe are physically capable of. And that is okay. I think part of it was that I knew what was possible because I had done these things before, even if they were a really freaking long time ago. Like I was an athlete. It doesn't mean I was good at it. It doesn't mean I like won all the sports and did all the things, but I played all of them for years. And so like, I knew my body was capable of moving. Mm. I just wasn't moving it. And I mean, part of it was because it hurt and then it was hard and all the things, but it was like, okay, let me do one thing at a time. But all of that aside, I will say, if you're a person who looks in the mirror or goes to the doctor or whatever, and you have acknowledged the fact that weight loss is at this point perhaps not just something you would like to do, but something that is required for you to continue living a healthy life. I want you to acknowledge that that is hard and that that is something that is worth prioritizing, but it also means it's okay if you let everything else go. And so last year, I told my business partner, I am prioritizing my health over our revenue, over the growth of our business, over my marriage, over my faith, over literally everything else, because it felt so required at that point that I had no other choice. And 
The thing I didn't anticipate is that when you show up for yourself to that capacity, you are given the ability to serve other people in bigger ways than you thought was possible. And so when I started, I I just shared because I thought it'd be fun. And as someone who breaks promises with themselves, if I somehow manipulated myself into convincing that I would let my audience down <laughs> by like giving this up, that like I thought maybe that would help keep me going. And it has. You guys are very motivating. Um, but what I didn't expect is that it would turn into my ability to help so many other women. Um to help so many women who are struggling with their weight or struggling with a chronic illness or struggling with wanting to be better and knowing there has to be a better way. And I love getting to be a part of their story and be a part of their life. And so many of them have become members of my jumpstart program and I get to work on that with them one-on-one and I get to see them succeed. And again, like it still makes you question that, well, I'm not done. I'm still, if you were to look at a freaking BMI scale, I'm still obese. You guys, I'm still obese, which is for the word, for the record, that word is terrible. And the fact that the word they put after it is morbidly obese is just not okay to me. But that's where I started. I started there. And I said, I'm going to be better. And if it means I can help other people in the process, like that just felt like the best gift I could be given because that's, that's always been my purpose is to help and impact others. Mm -hmm. And now I get to do it in more ways than I have before. What I have experienced from your journey, um, Mm -hmm. you you know, you and when I want when I want to say like health journey, I really mean emotional, spiritual, and physical health. Oh like yeah, all it's aspects awesome. of 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 health. Like seeing that on my end of things, uh-huh. I hear your voice so clear. Like mm. you cut through so much noise because you're speaking right to me, and I just feel like this journey has given you such clarity. And I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way because I just like hear you and I watch all of your stories and it's, it's really motivating to me because you're actually one of the reasons why I started Whole30. Yeah, girl. Get it. Because I never had committed to something for 30 days. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. And seeing you commit to moving your body a hundred days in a row, I was like, I can go without alcohol and grain and dairy, you know, for, and sugar (laughs) for 30 days because I was having joint pain Mm -hmm. because I had gained 30 pounds in three years Mm -hmm. because like, because there were aspects of my life where I was in physical pain and not able to do things I used to do because of weight gain. And Mm -hmm. like for my body, what felt true to me was I need to eat better Mm -hmm. and that is connected to how I feel. Mm -hmm. And just thank you. Like, thank you for motivating me and showing me that staying committed to yourself for a period of time is actually freaking possible people. Like, Oh, and it's so fucking empowering. Like I have never felt more empowered than how I feel right now getting off of whole 30 Mm -hmm. because I made a promise to myself Mm -hmm. and I actually didn't. She kept it and I kept it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's like changed our whole lifestyle. And something you said earlier in the um, in our conversation here is 
it wasn't about a diet. It was about a decision. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because that's how Matthew and I are changing our dietary mm-hmm. like intake is mm-hmm. it's not a diet. Like we are making different decisions based mm-hmm. on what we put in our body. Mm-hmm. And that is also really powerful to say mm-hmm. because the word diet just has such a fad, you know, and really yeah. unhealthy systemic like a whole, you know, multi-billion dollar industry behind, mm-hmm. you know, diets. And something I wanted to ask you about was in terms of like measuring success of being sure. healthy mm-hmm. when it comes to being physically healthy. Some people measure in pounds, inches lost, mobility, how they feel, like there are lots of different mm-hmm. ways to measure success. Mm-hmm. And I know that the things that you share are on pounds and inches lost. And I'm just curious like have you found that to be motivating? Some people find numbers attached to – some people have really negative mm-hmm. triggers from mm-hmm. stepping on the scale. Sure. And so what has that been like for you to commit to that? Like that's your measurement of change. Yeah. So I definitely still think about and experience all the other ways it impacts me and impacts my health. Um, but in terms of – things that people understand, pounds and inches are something that I feel like resonate with other people. And that's mm. why I choose to share them, not necessarily mm. because I am the most impacted by them. Okay. Um, but the scale, I think for years, I have seen it as demonizing, as something that hurt me, as something that had something against me. But y'all, it is just a measurement tool. Like, it is just just like a ruler measures inches on whatever you're putting it on. <laughs> like <laughs> a scale measures pounds or kilograms, depending on where you live. Um, and it's a tool. And if you use it as a tool instead of something that controls you, you can learn a lot about your body. And so I weigh myself at this point, almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And I know I think some people would see that as a little bit of compulsion, but I have learned so much in the process of doing so. Mm-hmm. I've learned that I naturally weigh more at certain parts of my cycle. I know that I naturally weigh less after a workout, which doesn't sound all that unobvious, but I think some people are just not aware how much sweat you have and like how much water weight you lose. Um, I have become aware of what things I eat cause inflammation naturally and which ones make me feel good and which ones cause changes on the scale. And weight is not necessarily the truest Um, definition of things being good or bad because you gaining doesn't necessarily mean it's staying. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be gone tomorrow. And so like, I totally get that. Like if you were to only weigh yourself once a week and you see this up, down, up, down, you're like, like I'm working so hard. I, I get that. And trust me, I get that. Like I, mine doesn't, it's not linear at all. Like it goes, all over the place, all the time. Um, But by viewing it as a tool instead of something that dictates or controls my life, I've been able to make more conscious decisions and I have felt 
more in control of my journey than I did without the tool. Um, because interestingly enough, if you were to compare side-by-side pictures of me weighing exactly the same amount, um, and at this point, the last time I weighed this amount was probably my senior year of high school, I don't look like the same person. Like, I don't have the same body features. I don't have the same proportions. I I look far thinner now than I did then, even though I weigh exactly the same weight. Interesting. And so, and if you were to Google, say, 180-pound woman or whatever, um, you can find pictures of women looking all different ways. Yes. But that doesn't also mean that that same woman on a different day, the same weight doesn't look different. And so while I still have a long way to go, I know this version of me today is still far better off than that version I was senior year of high school, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of that. And so I know the next leg of my journey will be the hardest because the weight associated with those years of my life are the most traumatic. And that is why I have been stuck where I have been for the last three months. I've lost and gained the same five pounds. I don't know how many times. Um, And I don't know how long it'll take me to break through that. I think I will have to acknowledge a lot of things from my past in order to let it go. Um, But that doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean I'm self-sabotaging. Sometimes it definitely means I'm self-sabotaging. If you guys knew how many Cheez-Its I've had in the last two months, you would be shocked and surprised, I think. Um, How do you know when you're self-sabotaging? Because this is something that Mm -hmm. I've actually been reading a lot about Mm -hmm. and about like the difference between your emotions your rapid thoughts, mm-hmm. your external circumstances, mm-hmm. and then your actual center of consciousness and your mm-hmm. awareness. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading a book called Positive Intelligence that's more business-related about this mindset and sure. saboteurs. And then I'm reading a very similar book called The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like, when do you know that you're self-sabotaging? Like, there's something in your mind or your habits are being picked back up that you're like, and how like how are you aware of it in the moment? So most people who are self-sabotaging are doing the things that feel the most familiar. And I'll give you an example. Say, and business is an easy one to come up with, say your goal is to see growth in the next month and you have some very ambitious things that you want to accomplish, some things that require you to show up for yourself in a way that you're not normally comfortable doing so, you might self-sabotage by helping other people do what you want to accomplish. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's very hard because I want to do those sorts of things all the time. Like my goal is to lose weight. And so I'm helping other people lose weight. And is that distracting me from losing my own weight? Maybe. Um, but it could be as simple as you saying, you know, I'm going to change this way 
about how I eat or I'm going to change this habit. And then you going back to it, is it a treat? Is it something that you are doing because it's a special occasion or are you doing it because you are craving a memory that it's associated with? Are you doing it because you're an addict like I am, like I was, like I, I don't know, like I'm addicted to food and I have, and I didn't even talk about it, but I have struggled with binge eating. And so while if you were to look at a list of eating disorders, I feel like binge eating gets second string, like it's not as intense or as hard as the others, but that's not necessarily true at all. And as someone who has been there, like self-sabotage isn't always conscious. And so in terms of like pulling yourself back out of it, the only thing I've been able to figure out is changing your environment because that's the fastest way to shock your subconscious. Yes. Is changing your environment. Um, So for instance, if it is food related and you tend to overeat at night when you're alone, when it's in secret. I, I find that that's pretty common for other women struggling with what I've been struggling with. Girlfriend, you might need to go to bed. Like, I, I know that sounds like oversimplified, but like you have to pull yourself out of that situation, even if that means laying in bed, thinking about food for the next two hours. Like, because you're probably not thinking about it because that's what you want. You're thinking about it because of all the things it does for you. Right. And the location that you're in in your house. Like if you're in the kitchen and you're naturally hanging out in the living room or you know, like like where the environment is where yeah. you're close to that. Yeah. That's, a, that's really good. Yeah. So I, I would binge on my couch alone in the dark and I'd go to the kitchen and come back and go to the kitchen and come back and go to the kitchen and come back. Um, and so like literally being at the other end of my house, laying in my bed, like it disrupts the pattern. Um, but if it's during the day, like it could be you going for a walk, it could be you picking up the phone and calling a friend, like you can, you can disrupt your environment in all sorts of ways. You just have to be careful that you're not changing one unhealthy habit for another. Cause I also find that to be pretty common. That's a good point. Like, that's a really good point. When you think that you're making progress and growing, you might be picking up, like, um, example for someone that is more selfish natured mm-hmm. and they're like, you know what? I want to start serving more. I want to start being more others focused. Then you go pendulum swing. You're so focused on other people that you are no longer even aware of your own needs mm-hmm. because you are trying to not be selfish anymore. And now all you do is focus on other people. Mm-hmm. And it's like this f- trying to find the integration of the two. I hate the yeah. word balance because yeah. I just don't think that balance exists, <laughs> but like trying to find that middle place where, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, it's not polar opposites. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I mean, cause I've seen women switch from binge eating to excessively exercising and I've seen women who, I mean, they will do the craziest things like you, I get it. Because it's compulsive. It's addictive behavior. And if you exhibit 
any addictive behavior, regardless of what you're addicted to, it's very easy to replace that behavior with something else that you feel like is a good choice. Like I have, I've heard, I remember like my grandma talking about her friends trying to quit smoking because like everyone in her generation smoked. Right. And she's like, oh, like this guy, like he stopped smoking and now all he does is eat donuts. <laughs> like, and it's, it's like funny as that sounds, like it's also terrible because now he has diabetes. Like he switched lung cancer for diabetes. Like, <laughs> like well, you know, it's, it's, it's not funny, but like what? <laughs> I mean, it's not, yeah. but it's in it it's easy to go down that road. So like you have to acknowledge that maybe I need to change something up. Mm -hmm. Wow. This has been honestly like one of the favorite conversations I've had in a very, very long time because I feel like your transparency and the way that you're owning your story, Mm -hmm. I think people can find a lot of encouragement in. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a lot of power in recognizing where you, where you came from, where mm-hmm. you are now mm-hmm. and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to share where people can, can find you. And then I have one more question for you, um, that I'm, I'm so excited to ask. So okay. where can people like engage with you the most? Because obviously I've been talking about her on Instagram all the time. So probably yeah. Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is definitely the best way to connect with me. I'm at Abigail says, and it's A B A G A I L says, um, I spell my name weird. Just switch the I for the A and you'll be good. Um, I also have a blog that you can find at simplyhomekc.com. And I have a Facebook group for women who are wanting to live more healthy and well lives. And you can find that at simplyhomekc.com slash community. Great. And I will link all of those in the show notes for you guys so you can easily connect with Abigail and Gosh, I just feel I feel so full. Like good. I love having these kinds of conversations and I I feel like so many people are going to find value and pieces of themselves in your story and just thank you for the voice and what you contribute to the world because it's it's so powerful and you're so brave and I feel incredibly honored to call you a friend. Oh. Well, thank you. I'm so glad I was here, but I'm really curious what this last question is. So I think that um, in anything that we are doing, creating, striving for, whether that's, you know, a deeper connection with other people or whether it's to be healthier spiritually or physically, I think one of the most important parts of that is to truly know and understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what has been your journey to truly connecting with Abigail? I think it starts with being self-aware. And for me, for a long time, I didn't know what that meant. Didn't know how to do that. Didn't know how to experience that. So I basically lived in the self-help section for like half a decade. Um, Love it. Still love it. Could eat it up breakfast like love yeah. it um so i'm kind of bad at reading consistently but some sometimes that meant audiobooks sometimes that meant reading the first two chapters and getting exactly what i needed from something and being okay with putting it on the shelf um but once i started to like see these trends and see what people were saying i think a lot of it came down to being able to understand the connection 
between how I feel emotionally and how that presents itself physically. And so, for instance, fear. I almost always feel fear in my gut. That's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel tension and stress in my chest. Again, not uncommon. We store emotions in different areas of our bodies. And when we do that, depending on how woo you want to get, <laughs> um, you, you can both do damage and reverse damage by being willing to process the emotions that are associated with those certain areas. So is it odd that I had a lot of tension and anxiety and then immediately had surprise onset high blood pressure and tachycardia and ended up in the hospital twice because of it? Probably not. Probably very related. And so like being self-aware enough to know that like if I'm feeling something and I don't acknowledge that it's a thing, that it it will manifest in physicalities. It, you have probably noticed this already and just not recognized that they were related. When you're really stressed at work and then you're like, why did I get the flu? It's because you're really stressed at work. Like mm -hmm. you literally lower your immune system when you have that stress and anxiety happening. And so you're more susceptible to bacteria and viruses and all the things. So I definitely think being open to the interconnectivity of our mind and body, and then also being open to things that perhaps transcend religion and spirituality. So like I am a practicing Christian, but that doesn't mean I'm not open to what energy work can do or what these probably deeper, more like, I don't, I don't even know what you call them because a lot of them don't have, like they don't have face surrounding them, right? They're just practices, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but when you are willing to marry them and you're willing to say, hey, I, I can recognize that I have a higher faith, reg again, regardless of how that comes up for you, and do these things that do have deep spiritual, emotional work attached to them. Like you can get to know yourself really well, really quickly. Um, and that's what the last year has been. Like, I, I think every time I lost weight, I had to do a lot of emotional work before that was possible. Wow. That is, I, I, I knew that, but hearing you say it and even the examples that you gave in your own life just kind of confirmed a lot of things in my own journey that I'm going through. Girl, you got to recognize. <laughs> got to recognize. <laughs> oh my God. I feel, I feel seen. I feel convicted. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. And I just love you. I love what you put in the world. And I'm so thankful for you sharing your story with the Deeper Life family. And um, I can't wait to, to hear how this is going to impact other people because I know that it's, it's going to be deep.